Welcome to the Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize in Literature podcast, where we explore the literature prize's social, ideological, and institutional functions as the most recognized literary honor in the world. Amidst mounting skepticism towards the legitimacy and credibility of the Nobel as an arbiter of global literary excellence, its status as the preeminent literary prize remains. However, our understanding of the uses of the literature prize's prestige has yet to be fully fleshed out. We believe it is important to think about what we stand to gain and lose by preserving the global significance of the Nobel. So in this podcast series, we speak with scholars and writers from around the world to discuss the Nobel Prize in Literature's prominence as a signifier of meaning, a structuring of discourse, and even a narrative motif in different cultures and societies. Welcome to the Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize in Literature podcast. Today we have Professor Tambling, Professor Jeremy Tambling with us. And Professor Jeremy Tambling uh, is a widely published scholar on numerous fields, whether it's on Dante or on Dickens or Wong Gawai or Henry James, he's widely published. And um, also he has experience of serving as a literary prize uh, judge. And so uh, all of this I think will be very relevant to uh, our discussion on um, the Nobel Prize and other related matters. Um, so Professor Tambling, maybe I can start uh, before talking about the Nobel Prize, maybe have an overview of your academic career first, right? Because like I mentioned, you are an author of 27 books, yeah? And several of them are topical studies like allegory and literature and the city. And then you also have published numerous single author studies as well on canonical figures, you know, like Dickens, Mogawe, Henry James, and of course your latest book, uh, The Poetry of Dante's Paradiso. So. Maybe we could start by asking you about your research approach um, for these different projects. Do you adopt a different frame of mind when you conduct a topical study and a single author studies? Um, if so, how is it different? Uh, well, thanks. I, I, I wouldn't say I adopt a different approach for those. I, I, I tell you what I do do uh, I there's a distinction between books I write for students and books uh, which are, are not primarily teaching material um, for example um, I, I wrote books on literary language and on narrative um, and I've written books on a book on poetry and reading poetry uh, and I enjoyed writing those very much um, and I, I think they're very important to do, I think it's very important that you, that you should write good material which teaches uh, students uh, and, and which uh, um, tries to pass on as, as, as much insight as you possibly can. Um, I, and I would say myself that, um, that that's the distinction. Other things I've been doing have been research activities. Um, often they've come out of teaching I have done or I've sort of arranged my teaching in order to be able to write something. So it's a distinction really between material which is uh, new research 
and material which comes out of teaching, and I'm not saying there's not plenty of research there, but but it's not the attempt to present new research. It's it's the attempt to to uh, um, make something approachable and interesting. Well, when I wrote a, a, a book on allegory, uh, which you mentioned in your introduction, I had quite a, a few tussles with the general editor for the series, who kept on accusing me <laughs> of wanting to write a book on allegory, meaning to say he thought I wanted to write an experimental book about allegory. Hmm. And he didn't want that. He wanted me to write a teaching book on allegory. Uh, I kept on trying to tell him, I'm not trying to write an experimental book. I'm trying to write a a teaching book. And uh, 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 so, so there was an interesting sort of quarrel, it really was, because it went on a few good few years uh, with, with, with this general editor as to actually what it was I was trying to do. Um, and we were agreed that what was required was a, was a, was a, a good teaching book on the subject of allegory. Um, but he thought I was writing something which is more like a research topic. So, so there we are. We, we, had, we had quite a few arguments, but uh, we, we, we're best of friends now. Excellent. Yeah, I, I, I'm just wondering, right? Because, okay, sure, you, you do write teaching books that are for teaching material that you can use in classrooms. But you, you definitely, you have works that are studying critically, like a topic, right? Like, for example, your your book on literature in a city, that, that book is not exactly a, a teaching book type of book, right? It's more of like a critical study contributing to the field of literature and city, the study of literature and city, right? And I think that, of course, is very different from a single author book where you focus on an author and you're very interested in deepening our understanding of specifically that author, for example, Wong Galway or Henry James. So I was just very curious, you know, like, uh, do you adopt different approaches or mindsets when you're doing uh, a topical study like literature in city? or when you're doing like Wong Gawai, for example? Well, I, I'm trying to think about what, what, what you mean about literature in the city. I, I, I edited a handbook, uh, yeah. and I've also edited an encyclopedia, and both of, both of those were for Palgrave. And in both cases, the, the humanities editor asked me if I'd be prepared to edit something. It wasn't something which was at the front of my mind. I mean, the, the topic was at the front of my mind, but the idea of getting a book out on the subject was not. Mm. And uh, uh, so I was responding to somebody saying, well, would you do something? And trying to respond to the point that somebody thought that I might be good at doing something, if you see what mm. I mean. Yeah. I mean, what, what, one point which is absolutely basic to to writing is that, is that you get very, very little encouragement at all in it. You, um, nobody, nobody says to you, right, you, you should write a book on X, Y, or Z. Um, they, they, publishers are very cold and unhelpful people on the whole and, and have got more so, I have to say. Since I started publishing, my first book was was 1987, and uh, I would say the publishers have got less and less enthusiastic as, as I've gone on. Now, I, I, that may be personal to me, but I don't actually think it is. For example, uh, the the very first book I published, the the, the contract said um, that the, the publishers wanted to have the first refusal on a second book I wrote. Okay. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and of course, that was that was in- useful, 
But that meant to say that, you, you know, the second time I wrote a book, I, I could take it back to them and say, well, do you want this book? Um, and as it happens, uh, it was Manchester University Press, long, long before I was associated with Manchester, it was Manchester University Press, and, and, and the publisher, the editor was keen on publishing the second book, even though the second book was on a totally different topic from the first. Um, uh, but th you know, that idea of asking you to, putting in the contract that they want to see the second book, that is gone completely, absolutely completely. Uh, I can also say that you know, I, I can divide publishers into two. They're the publishers I've met and the publishers I've never met. Uh, the list of publishers I've never met is much, much bigger than the list of publishers I have met. There are some wonderful publishers I've I've met with, uh, but you know all that all the stuff about you know publishers' lunches which go on for hours and uh, with plenty of alcohol involved. I mean, all, all those stories are, uh, as far as I'm concerned, completely. Um, fake. Uh, uh, most publishers just communicate very briefly with by email, and and, and so you, there's no. In, the point I'm making is no encouragement to publish. So you you, you publish, uh, as it were, through your own your own decision. Oh, I, that's interesting. I'd like to work on that topic. And um, you know, you have lots of lonely hours where you think, is, is this a topic worth pursuing or not? Uh, and you've no idea either as to the saleability of the, of the topic, none, none whatsoever. So, uh, so you, you, you write and, uh, and you see what, what happens. My, my own feeling about being an academic is, is that most academics actually decide that it's just too depressing and they, they sort of, um, they, they move out of being researchers into, uh, into admin and so on in universities. They, 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 they sort of let go of things. Well, I've always convinced that I'm a hopeless administrator and most of those people with, for whom I've done administration have agreed with me, uh, uh, but mm -hmm. I, I enjoy writing and, uh, and find it very important as well. I try to write something every day, actually. Uh, but so we're making a, another distinction here. There's the books which I've written because a publisher has said, would like you to do that. And the others, which have come from somebody, uh, come from a project of my own. When I wrote a book on poetry, for example, which was a teaching mm. book, uh, I, I have written to that particular publisher with a proposal for something else. I can't remember what now. And the publisher replied, sounds very, very interesting, but what I'd like you to do is to write a book on poetry. And, and uh, I ignored that. Uh, and then a little bit later, about a couple of years later, I sent another proposal to the same publisher, and he replied back, um, thank you, it sounds very interesting, but what I really want is a book on poetry. And I thought, okay, well, if you want a book on poetry, you'll have a book on poetry. So I went with it, and that, of course, was another teaching another teaching book. Uh, so so it, it, there are all these sort of variations uh, if, however, you, you, you've got a, your question implies, do I sometimes write about traditional topics and sometimes non-traditional topics? I, I think that's true. I, I think. Or I, my question, in a way, is more of like when you're focusing your efforts on, let's say, Dante, or you're focusing on effort on Henry James or Dickens. What sort of approach do you use? Um, that is. Uh, maybe different from when you're approaching a more broad topic-based study. 
Yes. Um, the, the, James, by the way, was another co commissioner. I, I was asked to write a book on James, and um, that was a, something which I jumped at because I'm not a Jamesian in terms of my reading, and I had to do a lot of reading for it. But, but James was somebody I wanted to explore and thought it very important that he should be, that, 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 that I should look, look at him. It was a, I felt it was a sort of gap in my own interest. Um, so Dick, Dick, you mentioned Dickens. Well, well, I did my first tranche of research on Dickens. I have gone on thinking about Dickens and trying to work out something there. That was that was a, a an M Phil, which I did at Nottingham, and it was a time when when I had been doing. It was just after my first degree. My first degree was basically in English literature. And so it seemed very logical to carry on with English literature with Dickens. And I enjoyed it hugely. And uh, and I've got, as you say, I've gone on publishing on Dickens. And then I didn't at that stage uh, do a PhD. Um, I came back to a PhD after the period of teaching. And I came back to a PhD. And uh, I, and this time I thought, well, I, I don't want to do English literature anymore. Uh, I would like to... To do comparative work, and and um, above all, I, I began to feel I was getting out of date with critical theory. Um, that the the critical theory in the beginning of the nineteen eighties, which is what I'm talking about, was just becoming very important in Britain. And I was aware that these crucially important names like Bart, Lacan, Derrida, Foucault, uh, Julia Kristeva. And actually, I was I was pretty ignorant of them, uh, and so uh, these things came together in my mind, and uh, and I, I I wrote my PhD on on Dante, uh, um, and was lucky enough to get it published uh, by Cambridge, and Cambridge published it with a very deliberate sense that they were were, were publishing something which was very alien to normal Dante studies, that, that, that this was going to be a provocative outlier, and, and that they were, it wasn't that they were taking a chance on it, but they were prepared to be controversial. Uh, and the, the book was, was very widely reviewed, and, and um, it was, some people were very nice in, in their review, and, and some were, were sort of very suspicious. Uh, and one particular book, also published by Cambridge, which, which was a, came a couple of years later, uh, roundly accused Cambridge of wasting its time in publishing my book. Uh, it, was, it, it was very sort of very interesting to come across that. Uh, when I was sort of reading the book and suddenly found that um, the, pub, the, the, the reader, the author of this book, was, was really, really hostile, more than, more than just critical. It was hostile, really, very hostile. Mm. Anyway, so, but but the point is that, that because of that, um, I I, um, I found that I now actually got two areas of interest in nineteenth-century English, and then and then in uh, a comparative literature uh, with Dante, and, and who who was already an interest of mine. Or I, I, I'd done some Dante as an undergraduate. Uh, he was a, already an interest of mine, but but it also meant that I could go and work in in comparative literature, uh, which I did in Hong Kong. That was a very important part of my career, a very important part. Yeah. 
Well, maybe I can ask you another way because, like, obviously, you do have a strong interest in single authors mm. studies, right?、Um, maybe I can ask you is, you know, what drives your interest in focusing your efforts for a few years, like on Henry James? I, I know you mentioned that you, you're commissioned to do it, but you're also very interested in it. So I think, in a way, you have to be super interested in a specific author in order to do a single author project, right?、Um, from an intellectual point of view, aside from just pure passion, are there other academic sort of I don't know, challenges or things that interest you to pursue a single author project? It's a very interesting question, actually.、Um, And when I did my PhD at Essex University, and Essex then was very, very much on the side of literary theory,、uh, and it's、um, and the best minds in it were, were really critical theorists, and and one of them was somebody I respected hugely. Was very critical of me doing a single author study、uh, on on the basis that you know there is no such thing as an author, that that, that the author is a is a a concept which belongs to bourgeois liberal humanism, and uh, and that that the author is 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 an explosive concept. We, I mean, we know Foucault's essay on what is an author. Uh, which, of course, interrogates precisely the extent to which the author is an ideological concept, and and I largely agree with that. I I I, I,、uh, I have I have no quarrel with it. I suppose I think,、uh, however, that、um, it's also important to to read a work in detail, and for, for that reason, I I think I'm less. Interested, though I hugely respect it, in what I might call a, a, a sociology of literature, than than I, than I am in, in engaging with with texts. I suppose my my own training was in reading as closely texts as closely as I could,、uh, and it's something I've always wanted to do. And、uh, and some people have been very nice and said I'm good at it. So. Perhaps that's a part of it. I suppose too that I do believe in lives as being sort of indexes of culture,、uh, uh, indexes of a kind of cultural history. And I've always wanted to think of the person not as some kind of individual genius, not at all, but but to think about them in relationship to a kind of history of the subject, a, hi- a history of.、Uh, Of subjectivity and how subjectivity, you know, has been in terms of Europe and America, a something with its own history, which, of course, Foucault is is very interesting on when Foucault talks about confession, for example, or madness or sexuality. All of these things are part of a history of of how the subject is constructed and how the subject. Constructs himself or herself. So, for that reason, I I have stuck at sing, single authors. But having said that,、uh, I've always tried to look at a single author through another lens. For example, the, the first thing I actually published on Dickens、uh, was an essay on Dickens and Foucault. 
uh, I, I published it in what's actually quite a conservative journal in Britain, uh, Essays and Criticism, one which prizes uh, close reading and single author criticism. The editor of it uh, was was very nice. He 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 hadn't read Foucault, and, and he said he and he went and bought Foucault in order to make some decision about the work, and he, and he. We, we we did actually have a long conversation about about it in in Oxford uh, at his home and and he and um, he took a chance on it. That was the point. He took a he he took a chance. Uh, and there were people <laughs> I had friends who raised eyebrows at the the idea of me publishing with essays and criticism because they thought this was you know a very conservative thing. But but on the other hand, you know, they took the article and they they didn't require me to cut it or to compromise. They they, they took it as I uh, as I as I wanted to publish it. The point I'm making from that is that it is simply that I didn't want just write about Dickens. I, I was writing as much about Foucault, and, and I was trying to put the two together, and uh, and to sort of turn the discussion in that way. I, I suppose I'm what I'm saying here is that I've always tried to do that to 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 look at a a particular body of text in in relationship to another different body of texts. I'm just wondering, like you mentioned, uh, like a few minutes ago, that you don't really see the author as a genius, right? Uh, rather, you see him as like a embodiment of cultural history, yeah. And you're interested in how their lives can give us more insights on just a larger understanding of a particular period. I'm, however, I'm also wondering, well, why specifically this writer, right? It seems like. Of course, aside from his reception as being, you know, largely impactful, there's has to be in a way some type of I don't know maybe the word is genius maybe it's another word for it but there's that's definitely something that captures you and almost I suppose compels you to you have to study them at a deeper level does it not? Yes, well, I, I, I think it's a fair question, and uh, it, it's something which I'm, I'm not really sure I'm, I could give a completely um, satisfactory answer to. Uh, I, I, I would have to say I find some writers much more interesting than others. Uh, um, I, I would also say that uh, that I've always tried to teach authors for whom I have some time, and I, I find it extremely difficult to teach something if I'm not interested in the writer or, or, or not interested in the kind of problems that the, the text throws up. And sometimes, of course, the the the, 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 the writer is absolutely repellent. Uh, uh, that, that that also that also happens. But then, obviously, things which are distasteful are also very interesting. I I do want to say that some things I find really interesting, and some I do not. I also want to say that texts which have grabbed me and have held me are ones I've wanted to go back to and to write about. An example of that is Blake, uh, who who is who is certainly very important to, to me, and who I wanted to write about because I really wanted to work out what I thought about Blake. And having said that, uh, I think that that has driven me in, in that particular direction. At the same time, I'm, I'm trying to keep myself up to date with critical theory, and I enjoy working on it. And 
Um, I, I find psychoanalytic criticism very important. I find the broad range of sort of post-Nietzschean criticism, Nietzsche, Derrida, Foucault, Deleuze, Blanchot, Levinas, very, very important. Uh, and, and I find um, Marx's criticism, particularly with Walter Benjamin and um, Adorno, again, very, very important. Uh, and then fourthly, I find the gender criticism mm. um, increasingly important. Um, and, and all of those things have have um, keep me going. And I, I've never been able to think at, outside those categories when I'm thinking about a, a, any kind of author. You're now listening to the Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize Literature Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at nobelculturallife.wordpress.com. Now, back to the podcast. I'm just wondering then, um, because you listed out, of course, uh, numerous very important uh, critical theorists that are very important in academic studies of literature or any academic study uh, uh, in literature itself. And yet, it seems like you also have a different side of you where you're, you just have a, a very personal preference that you really enjoy specific uh, few writers, right? I'm just wondering, is there some type of tension, do you think, that uh, when you're doing academic studies, perhaps you have to balance the, your personal taste for a writer and with the academic sort of mindsets of engaging with, you know, critical dialogue, and you have to balance that. Uh, does that also come into play when you are deciding to which project you you pursue? Uh, as a, yeah, I, I think it does. Uh, I, I think it does. You, you say attention, probably there is. Uh, I, I also say, I don't think I've ever really written something which um, hasn't, as it were, been a problem for me or... or even things which are where I'm teaching, um, where, where t- teaching texts. Uh, I don't think I've ever written something which uh, I haven't felt. I want to get to know this. And I, 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 I want to get get more of a sense of it. Uh, or I, I want to know why it's important. Um, and, and, um, and perhaps I could say I want to know why it's important to me as well. So, so, so um, though... I don't think of myself as particularly introspective uh, in my uh, in the way I write. Uh, I suppose everything is very definitely personal to me. Yes, I I, I think that's true. I, I mean, I, I I'm aware that I've written a lot, um, and I've got my own opinion about whether I should have written quite as much as I have. Um, there's nothing I don't want to have written, but there's lots of things I wish I could have written them better. But I have to say that that writing has never just been for me. Well, it's never been a means of promotion, although promotion has has followed, and it's never been a way of just trying to make myself a specialist. I mean that that that, that I would say. I, if someone says to me, "Well, you're a dentist," I say, "No, no, no I'm not. I'm I, I, I'm a comparativist." Uh, if someone says to me, "You're a 19th century." Person, I said, no, I'm not. When I when I was appointed to Manchester after Hong Kong, um, that was in an English department, and they wanted a professor of Victorian literature, uh, and I told them um, that I wouldn't take that job. Uh, that I would take the job of being professor of literature, but not Victorian literature, because 
I didn't want to be boxed in. What, what we're coming down to is, I suppose, that I don't really... Obviously, I'm, a, I'm an academic, but I don't think of myself as writing for academia, if you see what I mean, uh, uh, though, though I do write for students. Uh, um, mm. I, I'd rather think of writing as uh, as being investigative and, uh, and uh, as a way of probing topics which which in some ways do sort of get down to the fibers of my being. Mm. If you, if you're talking about, you know, how you're appreciating a, a writer to get to the fibers of meaning and to learning more about, you know, a particular subject, I think the Nobel prize definitely can kickstart that, right? Because with oh. that prestige of the, that bestows upon an author, for example, uh, it, it can definitely encourage establish an entire industry, right? Just basically surrounding that writer for at least a few years. Um, do you think, however, that uh, the Nobel Prize uh, with that type of emphasis on authorship, right, is something that is contradictory to, you know, like you mentioned about earlier about this seemingly idea of like a genius or, you know, like how the post-structuralists would say, hey, the author is dead. So, you know, why do we still have a prize, let alone this huge prize called a Nobel Prize in Literature? Do you, uh, what's your comment on this? Well, um, I, I, obviously, I, I, I take the criticism seriously, and, and, and there are a lot of criticisms which can be made fairly about the Nobel Prize. Um, if I was to defend it, uh, and I'm defending it because you're asking me rather than because this is a way I go around thinking, uh, I, I would defend the, the concept of literature rather than the, the, than the author. It's the Nobel Prize for literature, as it were, and it seems to me that it's extremely important to keep the concept of literature. And I, I suppose, I, I suppose this is a kind of this may reflect a, a, a something of a division in in, in me that I I believe in in the, the category of literature, although I'm not at all sure I, I would be able to describe what literature is. Uh, um, perhaps perhaps I regard literature in a sort of utopian way that, that, that the important thing is the writer should be able to say what he or she wants uh, and that, um, that you should concede the importance of writing itself. Um, I mean, that, that, that's a huge topic of, of modernist criticism. Uh, when we think of Blanchot uh, writing about Malamé or Malamé talking about conceding the initiative to words. In other words, literature as something which is ideally uncensored uh, and which is, a, uh, is engaging with the public sphere or trying to engage with the public sphere, trying to reach a public sphere, trying to create a public sphere, that does seem to be essential. So that though you may... You, you can be irritated or even angry uh, with some of the choices of the Nobel Prize. I, I think as long as it's got literature in the, in the title, I, I, I think it's, it's, it's better than nothing. When you say uh, that it's important to defend or protect or preserve the concept of literature, I'm wondering, is it like the existence or the preservation of literature has something to do with also preserving the idea of the author. Do you think that that 
that could work. That that makes sense. Well, I think that's more accidental than than otherwise. I mean, obviously, you know, when the Nobel Prize was set up, uh, it, it um, I mean, it did two things. First of all, you know, it, it belonged at the beginning of the twentieth century. It belonged to the the high water mark, as it were, when when, when the single author was an essential concept, uh, and particularly the single author as battling against alien forces so so for example you know the 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 idea that there was a, a kind of idealism in the writer was that was stressed in 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 what was being said well you can only be idealistic if as it were the odds are against you um so so the, the there was a, a sense in which the the nobel prize was was trying to was trying to reward um, a kind of struggle and and a, an aim in in the uh, in the writer to to go for for some kind of better society or some kind of better life. Now, obviously, all these things are are problematic, and then you put them alongside the point. You know, you've got the Nobel Prize for medicine and and peace yeah. and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you're back to Foucault's point about what is an author, the the, the, the point that, that that science actually is much more anonymous and much more, uh, you know, a matter of of group experimentation in laboratories than the, than the, than writing is. Uh, uh, I, I, I mean, these are the, the, these are points to consider. Is the Nobel Prize trying to uh, fetishize the, the scientist? Um, obviously, very often the the, the the science prize goes to two people or or, or to two or three people across across different continents. Um, Peace prize has often been awarded to two different people uh, or in organizations, yeah, or organizations. Um, it, it's hard to see how that would hard, but not impossible to see see how that would work with literature, and, and, and perhaps it should. Um, I, I mean, another thing, of course, would be something like film. Uh, you, you, you think think of film as as something which which, uh, although we talk in terms about the auteur, and we we, so we, we make a lot of particular directors. Nonetheless, you know. Film is an incredibly communal work, and it's it's um it, again it's, it is a it is a challenge to it is a challenge to, to literature. The one other thing I would say, however, um, is, so I, I'm trying to justify the Nobel Prize, although I really do not emphatically not talk about this much apart from this on this occasion. It's not something which has interested me really. Um, it's trying to reward a body of work, and that's also that's also interesting. Is it's not it's not the sort of a single novel, uh, as for example the Booker Prize or 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 other things like that. It, it's trying to give credit to some kind of embattled existence, which has tried to which has persisted, right? And and those things are those things are interesting, even even if you want to say, well, they leave out a lot, and, and perhaps we ought to take account of of just what a uh, difference is made by I think, yeah oh, sorry. by communal writing mm, yeah. no i just thought uh, your point about recognizing almost like a survival or like a testament of the persistence of an individual author's effort to write and write and write despite all the obstacles 
that are thrown at him or her in terms of time or historical conditions. Mm. I think that's just like a wonderful point. And I'm not sure I've heard anyone talk about the Nobel Prize in that sense, because that's such an important point, because oftentimes, like you mentioned, it seems like it is fetishizing the author, right? It's like because we're glorifying him and putting him on a pedestal and stuff like that. But if you think of it different ways, like it's a miracle that someone can write for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and get recognition at the end of that journey, you know, with this impressive body of work. I think that's just a very, a very important recognition that that should be singled out, you know, um, in terms of our appreciation of literature. Is that what you're saying in a way? I am saying that. And I'm I'm saying it with a, with sense that um, I don't think the prize is often has always uh, been given with that in mind, but uh, there are there are one or two significant names uh, which uh, where I feel that it should have been given. For example, it was never given to Chinua Achebe. Mm. Uh, now Achebe seems to me to be somebody who set America, uh, African literature in a very interesting and new direction, and. I think that achievement could and should have been marked. Nabokov never got the Nobel Prize. Uh, and Nabokov's work, I think, is an extraordinary body of things. Uh, uh, um, Borges never got it. Uh, and if I mention Borges, uh, it, it might as well come back to this other point that, that about the single author. I mean, Borges is just an extraordinary library if you think of um, where Borges stands and how how much his writing is always embodied in some other figure uh, we've got the number of personae that are invented in in Borges the the way in which the the work is always a kind of commentary on other literary texts I mean that that's a that's an instance of of, of um, a, a way of thinking about literature, which, which in a way is antithetical to the Nobel Prize. And yet, having said that, uh, um, there's something absolutely uh, extraordinary about Borges as writing a, a whole a whole body of work. Uh, some some of the political positions I don't agree with, and and indeed. There are bits of Borges I, I, I react away from, but I, I think it's I think it's an it is an extraordinary achievement in itself. Yeah, in a way, I, I suppose you know any great writer is kind of how uh, great literature is created by other literatures, right? And I think like yes. Borges or any any great writer is also always drawing from influences from different writers. Uh, and I, I'm just also perhaps. Maybe one one way to argue for the study of single authors or if to celebrate an author like a Nobel Prize is perhaps to say you're not celebrating author alone, but also celebrating all the influences that he takes from. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, of course, uh, it's, it's very important to consider 
Borges's relationship to, uh, I mean, Latin American literature, and um, which, which for, for my money, is is the most interesting 20th century literature that, that there has been, uh, and 21st century too. Though it is exceptionally interesting, and Borges does does embody a lot of it, uh, uh, and his influence, of course, on critical theory. I mean, uh, uh, Foucault writes about Borges in um, uh, in the order of things in 1966. Um, there's a nice photograph of Derrida with Borges somewhere, um, and uh, so Borges is is part of a. I mean, as in that wonderful short story, Pierre Menard, author of the Quixote. There's a wonderful sense in which Borges does bring up questions of this, of what literature is and what literature is in in modernity. So yes, I mean, perhaps it's not surprising that he didn't get the Nobel Prize on that basis. Uh, so maybe we can go into your experience as being a literary prize judge, right? Because although you don't, you mentioned you're not really too interested in Nobel Prize, but you yourself has served as a prize judge um, for the 2019 DSC Prize for South Asian Literature. And uh, I went through your introductory video, right, for that prize, which is, yeah, and you mentioned uh, some notes of how it was a very steep learning curve and a mm. very particular challenge for you. Could you elaborate a little bit more about that? Like, what was it like to be a... a well, I, I, the, first, the first challenge is quite simply uh, the, the deadlines. Uh, I mean, I was asked to do this uh, almost out of the blue. Uh, somebody asked if I'd allow my name to be put forward. Uh, and I, I agreed. And and um, there was some sort of selection process, and I was asked to do it. Uh, and then the books came, and the, there were 90 novels arrived. And, and I had to read all 90. Uh, um, and, I, and actually, I read 90 in 90 days. Wow. That's, that's, <laughs> the, first, that's the first challenge. Uh, uh, actually, only... Two days ago, I threw out the notebook that I'd compiled. So I'd read the novel and, and, and make notes on it uh, as I went through. So for, for 90 days, uh, I recommend this if you want to lose weight. Uh, for 90 days, I read a novel a day, uh, which means, which you can do if, you, if you're absolutely determined to absolutely determined to do it and you carry the book around with you the whole time uh, read the page here page there and then and make and find time to, to get it done and of course the, the, it wasn't always uh, a problem so sometimes you could see a book was not going to cut it at all but but nonetheless you had to get through to the end so that was the, that, that was the first challenge the second challenge of course is, is that india has never been a specialism for, for me so i was learning a, a lot about india uh, and in indian customs as uh, and indian various indian histories uh, as i went through and it wasn't just india there was sri lanka uh, there was uh, um Afghanistan, there was Pakistan, and there's Bangladeshi literature also that all represented. Um, so it, it, it was it, it it was a lot to it was a lot, and it was very very interesting. I, but I think the steep learning curve is first of all to do with India. Second, how to just how to read, and I have to say too in reading. I have. I don't have much time for the idea of distant reading. You know, I believe in close reading, and, and, and it was very interesting to go through the, the ninety texts. 
then to meet up with on, on email and etc cetera, etc cetera, with, with the other judges and get a shortlist which was initially 20 books and then it was then it was um 15 then it got down to 10 and then we met uh, as a jury in nepal in december 2019 and and uh, by that stage we had a short list of, of six books which, which had to be argued over and um, my own my own favorite what didn't win but but i was very happy with the one that did win hmm. um, and I, what i would say about that too is that this was almost uh, this is almost an experience of of new criticism. I I I I'm not a new critic, and I, I don't agree with new criticism. But it was very interesting to to read and to comment on on the text, and then to meet the authors. <laughs> That's what that was going to ask you, right? Because it seems like as a literary judge, which with with which your objective is to evaluate literary merits, is something that seems so foreign now as contemporary academics and literature, right? Like you're not really supposed to judge literary merits now, right? When you're writing a book, you're you're talking about, like you mentioned earlier about sociology of culture. You're trying to look for the social productions of a literary text, you know, you're not so much in focus just on whether the book is strong and creative and such like that, yeah? And so like you mentioned, you were putting on your new critic hats of sorts, right? When you're doing this. Um, what I just like about new criticism, of course, is the assumption that you know less about the text than you do, uh, or, or or less about the author. In this case, in this case, I didn't know any of the authors. Right, right, right. And uh, whereas, of course, some of the judges did. That, that that was the interesting thing. Some of the, you know, I was the only Westerner on, on in the on the panel, and, and some of the other people were, were quite inward with them. And, and one of the, one or two writers had had actually put in for it before in, in previous versions of the prize. Could, could I say also that the, what the, one of the fascinating things about the competition was that um, you're getting into the discussion of literature, and literature means something very different to people in the academy mm. and in different academies from what it means to say journalists. So uh, two two of the committee were journalists. Uh, the 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 others were academics. Uh, so so uh, um, two people had a very different attitude to writing and to the public space than from the academics. Uh, and uh, uh, um, the the, que the question of of literature is um, is obviously itself highly contestable. You you can't say. We know what literature is. It means different things to different people, and you've got to make your own arguments for it. And that was actually very refreshing. Mm -hmm. It was also very interesting that a lot of the audience I could see were rooting for one of the titles, which which was carefully considered and was in the shortlist, but didn't make it. Um, uh, and quite clearly, the reason they wanted it to win was because it, it would be such a nice black eye for Modi, the, the Prime Minister, <laughs> who, in my opinion, deserves every black eye that could be thrown at him, given him. Uh, uh, and the, the audience wanted this uh, writer to win because he, he was so anti-Modi. You know, nothing wrong with that at all. And I can see the disappointment, too. too. The, the interesting thing there was, was it ju just reminds you that 
you can't ever, um, as it were, predict why people value literature. And, and so if I go back to the Nobel Prize here, the Nobel Prize for Literature, part, part of the thing it does is it, it puts a question mark. What, what do you mean mm. by Mm, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, it's almost as if like every time you have a Nobel laureate announced, it sort of like redefines or not redefined, but at least it triggers a discussion, right? Because like suddenly you have Bob Dylan win a Nobel Prize, yeah. you know, and like, so what do you mean by literature now, right? And do you also feel like uh, like for the DSC Prize, it was sort of like, a, at least for you or maybe for other people as well, uh, a triggering a debate once again, what is literature or South Asian literature? Was that also a... Yes, it's, it, certainly, it certainly did do that. And, and one of the other nice things about it too, uh, you know, the, 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 the Nobel Prize is, is uh, rightly criticized for being Eurocentric and favoring certain countries uh, above others. And, and you know, the arguments there are, are difficult and complex, et cetera, et cetera. In this case, there's much more of a nice feeling of a level playing field because all the writers are passionately of, the, of their country, passionately advocating for literature within their own situation and it's not my situation but i certainly could respect very much the um the, the status of of, of of people in it so may i say it was lovely to be the only westerner in the whole literary festival that was taking place and uh, and uh, the, and to be talking with people who quite with much less advantage than Western academics and Western readers uh, valued literature very passionately. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have enjoyed this conversation. You can learn more about the cultural life of the Nobel Prize in Literature at nobelculturallife.wordpress.com. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify and all major podcast platforms. The Cultural Life of the Nobel Prize in Literature podcast is hosted by Michael Ka Chi Chuck. The production team is Audrey Chen, Celine Wong, and Gwen Wong. <laughs>